0: Some people think that anger is just totally a negative, wrong emotion. Well, the way that it's used often is a wrong emotion. But there is a right use of anger. And I talked about how that this is one reason that Satan is gaining access and inroad into a lot of people's lives. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And the next verse says, Neither give place to the devil, implying that if you don't have a righteous, godly anger... This is one of the ways that Satan is gaining inroad into your life. Another way of saying it is that as long as you can live with something, you will. But when you allow a godly type of anger to rise up to where you have just had it, you aren't putting up with it anymore and you aren't going to be sick, you aren't going to be poor, you aren't going to be miserable, and you aren't going to be mean anymore. Amen? You can literally use a temper to drive Satan away. When Jesus turned over the money changers tables in the temple and drove out the sheep I guarantee you he was mad and Jesus did not sin and then last night we talked about the wrong use of anger the way that most of us are accustomed to it and we talked about why it is that you get angry at people and why you do these things and we shared that uh, from Proverbs 13:10 only by pride comes contention That's the only thing that makes you angry. It's not your personality type. It's not your hormones. It's not what somebody else has done to you that makes you angry. It's your self-centeredness. If any of you weren't here last night, that may not sound very good to you and you may not agree with it, but I promise you it's true. And man, we saw a lot of people set free last night. I believe that this will change a lot of people's lives. So we talked about that. What I want to do tonight, I want to share with you that, uh, talk about three areas that people get angry, and of course I already exposed last night that this really isn't justified, that it's caused. I'm talking about wrong type of anger, an ungodly anger, and it's caused by our own self-will. If you really receive what I said last night, this will totally diffuse your anger. But I want to deal with three areas here. One of them is that people get angry at God. And you know, this is something that I don't really relate to myself. God has touched me and I just can't ever picture me being angry at God. But I deal with a lot of people and I know that this is an area that a lot of people are actually angry at God. They really are. There's probably people right here in this auditorium that you are angry at God because you feel like God failed you, and it's because of some wrong assumptions and wrong understanding. First of all, if you would implement what we talked about last night and just run up the flag and say, God, I am not you. You are God. I will love you and serve you regardless. That would solve this problem. You know, I was raised in a denomination that taught that God's the one that killed my dad when I was 12 years old that God is the one who caused problems and trials. It's God that made me fail. It's God that did things to punish me or to break me and to do all of this. And even though none of those things were true, did you know that because I had made a total commitment of my life to the Lord, I was willing to serve a God like that. I really was, because I knew that I wasn't God. I knew that He was, and I wasn't going to tell Him, as long as you're like this, I'll serve you. I was just going to serve God. And when He was misrepresented to me, I served Him that way. When uh, I was told that God killed my dad, I remember thinking, man, I don't understand why a loving God would kill my dad, but if that's the truth, I'll serve Him. I never got angry. I never got bitter. I never rebelled at God. And so, again, if you make this decision that you put Jesus on the throne of your life and He is first and foremost in your life, that should take care of this problem. But there's a lot of people that are angry at God because they feel like that if God is Almighty, all He has to do is lift His little finger and He could have solved this problem and God didn't do it and God failed me and there are people who are angry at God. You know, I'm going to use an illustration here. I don't recommend this. I'm putting a disclaimer on it. But this week, I watched this movie, Bruce Almighty. Any of you ever see Bruce Almighty? I watched that this week. I had a pastor friend recommend it, and I thought, well, I'll watch it. And so I watched it on TV, and anyway, uh, you know, I'm not recommending the movie. It's okay. But it was about this guy who was mad at God because his life was falling apart, and he just read God, the riot act, and then God showed up in the form of, who was this actor? That Morgan Freeman. He showed up in the form of Morgan Freeman, and he just said, All right, turn it over to you. And this Bruce became Almighty God for a period of time. See if you can do it any better. And he messed it up big time. It did not work. But anyway, he was mad at God. Finally, he realized he had made a mess of things. He repented, fell down on the on the freeway and repented and said, Oh, God, you can have it back. I'll surrender. And he got run over by a truck. <laughs> and died and went to heaven anyway, it's quite the story. But it it illustrates how that there are a lot of people who just blame God and think God is the one. I know that when I deal with people who've lost somebody, a loved one, they think that if God wanted to, God could have raised this person up. And because the child was born with a deformity, because a person dies prematurely, because a marriage fails because a business fails, because things aren't going right, because your health is bad or whatever, there's people that get angry at God. Again, that really is selfish. You aren't understanding. You haven't ever submitted yourself to God, but there's some things that I'd like to share with you that could help you in this and uh, help you get over that. First of all, there are some misconceptions. People think that if God really is God, how come God hasn't just solved this thing? If God is Almighty, He could have solved my situation. You need to recognize that God does not just intervene in your life independent of you. See, all of our anger against God is based on misunderstanding and misconceptions. Let me use a passage of Scripture to get into this out of Ephesians chapter 3. You might want to read this in your Bible. You wouldn't believe it's there. This is not the way most people believe. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And most people put a period right there. And they say, God is able to do anything. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. That's an untrue statement. That's not what this verse says. The verse doesn't say that. It says, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. In other words, the word according to means that God's ability, God's movement, His release of His power into your life is according to the power that works in you. God flows through people. You know, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Some people don't recognize this, but this is so pervasive in most people's thinking that they assume that God could just do anything. We've got a whole group in the body of Christ today that are praying for a revival. And I'm not against revival. I would love to see all of the benefits and the effects of revival. But the way that people are praying for it, they aren't out preaching the gospel and ministering to their neighbors and doing what Jim talked about, buying somebody's groceries and letting them know that God loves them. But instead, they're in a prayer closet just asking God to pour out His Spirit and they can't understand why God hadn't answered this prayer. You know, 20, probably 30 years ago, I went to a place in Mississippi where there was 24-hour-a-day prayer for revival. It had gone on for nearly 50 years. And you could go to the basement of this church, and this was 30 years ago. There were holes in the concrete where people's knees had worn holes in this around these mourner benches. And they had been praying for revival 24 hours a day 50 years and it's now been 80 years we still hadn't seen it why is it It, we have to get another million people agreeing and praying and asking god to do this it's because people misunderstand the way revival comes revival doesn't come by you praying for it and asking for it god is not able I, i know that some people are offended by the way i'm saying this but i'm saying it this way on purpose God has created things and set it up that God flows through people. And if you don't share the gospel with people, if you don't lay hands on people and see them recover, if you don't go out and in the name of the Lord release the power of God, it's not going to fall out of the sky. You cannot pray and get a person saved by prayer. You cannot pray a person into the kingdom. Now what you can do is pray and God can send laborers across the path if you're in a position where say they live in another country or another city and you can't touch them, but somebody is going to have to come across their path and witness to this person and share the gospel with them. You can pray that radio and television and tapes and videos will come across their path and God will use that, but I'm saying you don't just pray a person into the kingdom. I couldn't tell you how many times I've talked to a person that is mad at God because they've prayed for their husband or for their wife for 20 years and that person isn't born again yet and they're upset. Why hasn't God answered my prayer? As if God just reaches down and touches a person and they get saved. That's not how it happens. The Lord has forgiven every person's sins. Salvation is available to every person, but they have to hear the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 says, How can they believe on Him whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says that you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. For a person to be saved, you can't just pray and then God sovereignly, supernaturally saves them. God is going to have to bring somebody across their path to tell this person the truth, to preach the gospel to them. And we have people in the body of Christ today that are on their knees praying for revival, praying for salvation, and they wouldn't share the gospel with anybody because they're afraid that they might be rejected. They don't want to suffer any rejection. They don't want to rock the boat. And yet the Bible says you are born again by an incorruptible seed, the Word of God. It's using that same terminology that we use about planting a seed and growing a plant are planting a seed in a woman and then a baby is conceived. There aren't virgin births. There was only one virgin birth. There aren't any more. And I guarantee you nobody is going to have a virgin born again experience to where the Word of God, where they don't interact with it and receive it. We've got to preach the Word of God to people. And yet people are ignoring this and they're assuming that if God wanted to, God could save this person. God could change this. My children could be serving God and it was it's God's fault. How come God isn't making my children serve the Lord? How come God has let my family do the things they've done? God doesn't control your life that way. God doesn't come in and against a person's will, make them get saved. They've got a free will. It's quiet in here. I'm countering a lot of religious doctrine here tonight. But you know what? There's people that are mad at God because they assume that God Almighty can do anything, and He can't. Some may take offense at that. You could say He won't. It doesn't matter what you say, how you say it. The pro- bottom line is it's not going to get done. God flows through us according to the power that works in us. If you want revival, you know what you need to do? You need to go before God and get revived full of the power of the Holy Ghost, get on fire, go to believing the Word of God, and then you have to take that fire that God places in you, and you have to go out and infect other people with it. Preach the gospel, demonstrate, raise someone from the dead, cast out devils, open blind eyes, demonstrate the power of God. And I guarantee if you do that, people will be born again. We've had people born again this week. You know why? Because they are seeing a demonstration of the power of God. We've had, I don't even know how many people, I'm sure it's over 50, maybe 70 or more people baptized in the Holy Ghost this week. You know why? Because they see power, they see demonstration. We've had people come out of wheelchairs. We What was it this morning we had? We had somebody healed of uh, chronic pain and I don't know, there was a number of testimonies that got up this morning. We had this brother healed of uh, cancer over here. We've had great things. We had a lady come from... Uh, Tennessee that was healed of a stroke, massive stroke, wasn't supposed to be able to live and she's just perfectly normal. We've been seeing a demonstration of the power of God. And see, when you start acting on the Word of God and letting that power work on the inside of you, people get born again, people get baptized in the Holy Ghost, and things happen. But we have somehow or another slipped over into this thing of God, if you're God, you could save this person if you wanted to. No, he can't. They have to believe. And the way that God has set it up for them to believe is they have to hear the Word. And many of us are too chicken, too self-centered to preach the Word of God to somebody else and we're just going to substitute prayer and ask God. And then if it doesn't happen, get bitter at God. That's not how it works. That's like a person who's mad because they don't have a crop coming in and they never planted any seed. Well, they prayed about it and they believed God. How come God didn't grow a crop? Some of you think that's a silly illustration, but I had that happen. There was a man who was a farmer and he was a rank unbeliever. He got gloriously saved, was in my Bible studies praising God and he was so busy on the full gospel circuits that he didn't have time to plant his crops the way that everybody else did. And so one month, one month before wheat harvest, he bought half a million dollars worth of wheat seed and planted 40 sections of of ground in wheat and lost half a million dollars and he expected God to make it grow supernaturally because he was out doing God's work. And when his crop didn't grow up and he lost it, he was mad at God came to me. God failed me. I was faithful out on giving my testimony and God should have made this seed come up supernaturally. That's not how it works. You know what? That's just stupid to be... Mad at God. He should have been mad at himself. That just doesn't work. And yet in the spiritual realm, we do the same thing. God, why didn't you come through? God does not sovereignly do things without people. God uses people. There is always going to be a person involved in the power of God. God does not move outside of people. Some of you may disagree with that. Sometimes we present things that they happen sovereignly, but there is no such thing. You go through the Word of God, and every time you see anything happen, people come to the Lord, miracles happen, nations turned around, any virtuous thing done in the Bible, God used some person. He raises up a person. If I had time, I could teach you on this, but God is a spirit... And He created physical human beings and He gave physical human beings authority in this earth. The power of God is not going to manifest without a physical human being being used. That's just the way it is. Now see, if you understood some of that, that ought to take care of some of your anger and wrath towards God about why didn't God do this. God flows through people. It's not God who's ever failed you. The problem has been that we have failed to believe God. The problem has been that we have failed to reach out and receive from God. The Lord doesn't want a single person to die and go to hell. He's paid for every person's sins. He's not willing that any should perish. But you know what? People are dying to go to hell. Some because they've heard and they chose to go their own way. But there's many people dying and going to hell because nobody is sharing the gospel with them. And we have the church spending millions of bucks sending people around the world to pray over places but forbid them to speak, forbid them to witness. Just go and pray and do spiritual warfare and millions of dollars are being spent on stuff like that thinking that you can pray revival into existence. That's not how it works. And if you think that, Then, when you put all of this effort into prayer and nothing comes to pass because you haven't cooperated with the laws that God has set down, you're going to be angry at God. Why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God do something? God has to flow through people. God always has to have a man or a woman there to flow through. I can promise you, God did not fail you. God is faithful, faithful, faithful. He's never failed a single one of us. And anger towards God is is either out of ignorance because you've got wrong assumptions or it's just because you are so self-centered thinking about yourself that you haven't considered God's standpoint, how the kingdom of God works or anything else like this. There are laws that govern how God functions. Man, i got so much I could say on this. Let me just say in Mark chapter 5 where the woman that had the issue of blood came to the Lord, there were laws that governed how His power flowed. She came up and touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus turned around and says, Who touched me? And you know what? Most people think that's a rhetorical question. They think that, of course, Jesus was God, therefore Jesus knew everything. Well, Jesus was God. I believe that with all of my heart, but Jesus was also a physical man, and in his physical mind, he didn't know everything. Luke 2, 52 says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He had to grow in wisdom. Jesus didn't come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. Jesus didn't know how to walk when he was a little child. He had to learn. Jesus stumbled. He had to learn how to get the food in his mouth instead of all over his face. Jesus' mind had to grow. He was God in his spirit, but in his mind he didn't know everything he had to be educated and grow just like a normal man would. And when Jesus turned around and said, Who touched me? He was speaking from his sinless, perfect, physical mind. He did not know who touched him. Now, the, the uh, importance of that is that, see, if you think that God just sovereignly controls every person that gets healed, then basically you think that God uh, sizes up every person, evaluates them, and if you're worthy... If you have done this, then God will grant you healing. That's the way most people think. They come and pray, and if they don't get healed, if they don't see a manifestation, they think, why hasn't God healed me? And they immediately wonder, is there an unworthiness in me? Have I not done this? Has God held it back? That's not how the kingdom of God operates. This woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment. He didn't know who she was. That means he hadn't sized her up He didn't evaluate whether she was sincere, whether she was in enough faith or anything, but the virtue, the power of God just flowed out of him, and this woman was healed before Jesus had a chance to evaluate her. You know what that shows me? That the kingdom of God operates under law, it's just like electricity. If you go up and grab a live wire that isn't insulated and if you're grounded and if you touch it, that power will flow through you and it'll shock you or kill you. And it's not the electric company that had something personally against you and did this to teach you a lesson. It's just law. It's just law. If you understand the law, you can use these things for your benefit. Electricity has been around since the day that God created the heavens and earth. Did you know that Adam could have used electricity if he would have understood the laws, how they work and make them work? God didn't hide electricity from us. It was our ignorance of the laws that kept us from use it, using it. It's our ignorance of the laws that cause people to get killed by electricity all of the time. It's not a personal thing. It, it's just controlled by law. And you've got to learn what those laws are and learn to cooperate with them. If you wanted the lights on in this place, if you wanted the electricity on, the air conditioning, we're holding a meeting. You could call up the electric company and beg them and plead, please turn on the lights, please turn on the electricity. They won't do it. They generate the power, it's delivered it to you, but there are laws. You have to go flip the switch. You have to find where the button is and you have to flip it. And in a sense, you're the one that controls it. You're the one that makes this power come on. Not because you are superior in force and power. It's not your power, it's not your authority, I guarantee you. You can put a light bulb in your mouth and it'll never come on. You aren't the power source, but it is put at your disposal and you have to flip the switch. Well, it's the same thing with the things of God. God has already healed every person who will ever be healed. He's already saved every person on the face of the earth. The payment for their sins has been made. God has already made a provision for whatever it is you need before you ever had the problem. God's work is done. And if you don't see the manifestation of what you need, it's not because God sovereignly decided not to give you what you need. It's because you're ignorant of the laws You haven't flipped the switch. You haven't spoken faith. You've been doing something wrong. It's not because God doesn't give. It's because we haven't received. It's always according to the power that works in us. Man, that is one awesome truth. Y'all are looking at me like either, oh, I know this, or either like I don't believe this or something. (laughs) But I tell you what, this is a foundational truth. You'll never go very far in your relationship with God until you understand that God is faithful. God has never failed you. If something hasn't worked out in your life, it's not God's fault. Chalk it up to ignorance. I don't know, but whatever, but don't blame God. Jamie and I had a very close friend. I actually got an emergency leave from Vietnam to come home and be with this girl. When she died, I was with her when she choked to death on her own blood. We tried to believe God for her to be raised up. We prayed for her to be raised from the dead anyway she was buried. And you know what? Everybody around me said, well, it must not have been God's will. We don't know why God didn't heal her. And I told everybody, I said, I can guarantee you it was God's will for this girl to be healed. And they said, so what are you saying? Are you saying that God's will didn't come to pass, which, you know, in religious terms, no, whatever God wills automatically ha-. I said, I don't know how to explain it. I'm just telling you, this wasn't God that this girl died. And some people couldn't handle that. And it took me three years to figure out what happened. But man, there was a lot of reasons. There was a lot of stupidity, a lot of ignorance on our part that caused this thing to happen. It was not God's will that she died. It wasn't God's will that my dad died when I was 12 years old. God didn't kill my dad. Some people think, well, you you know, everybody's got a number, and when your number's up, you're gone. That's not right. That is not right. That is not right. God does not sovereignly choose when your life is over. Man, the scripture says that God's allotted everybody at least 70 years. And if through reason of strength, talking about whose strength? Your strength. You live 80 years. He goes on and talks about how you're still going to have problems and things like this. You can extend your life. God doesn't have a number circled on a calendar in heaven when your number's up and you got to go. If you died less than 70 years old, Satan killed you some way or another. That doesn't mean he did it directly, but he did it through you not cooperating. Maybe all of the junk food and stuff, or maybe you fell asleep while you was driving and had a car wreck or something, but it wasn't God who took you. God has allotted a minimum of 70 years, and he says you can go on beyond that. matter of fact, the guy who wrote 70 years is a minimum... He lived to be 120 years old. Moses is the one that wrote that in Psalms chapter 90. And Moses lived to be 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated nor his eyesight dim. He operated in health and you can do that. We can live to be 120 years old. God's not the one that determines these things. I tell you, ignorance is costly. Sometimes you'll hear this expression, well, you know... uh, What is that expression I was thinking about? (laughs) Dave Duell talks about that bumper sticker that's just the opposite. Oh, ignorance is bliss. That's it. You'll hear people say ignorance is bliss, but the truth is ignorance is expensive. Ignorance is costly. Ignorance is dangerous. The Lord said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, any person who is mad at God, I don't know how to say this any nicer than this, so just forgive me, but any person who is mad at God is ignorant. Ignorant of the things of God. God is the greatest person, He is faithful, He's kind, He's forgiving. God has never failed anybody in here. Your problem is never, 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 never caused by God. And if you are mad at God, you are ignorant. God loves you. I'm not condemning you, but you're ignorant. You are ignorant of how the things of God work. Matter of fact, it's the mercy of God that all of us aren't destroyed because we have been ignorant far beyond You know, we've got more things than what we really understand. There is a mercy and a grace of God, but it's our own ignorance that hinders us. Anyway, I could spend all night teaching on this. I've got tapes on the sovereignty of God and other things. But you know what? If you are mad at God, you just need to recognize that, man, it is absolutely wrong. There is zero, zero justification for you being mad at God. And then another category of people that have anger, and I'm talking about generalities, not individual instances, but people get mad at other people. They have unforgiveness and they bear unforgiveness. Man, I could minister for days on unforgiveness. I'm trying to summarize this whole thing quickly tonight. I'm going to have to skip through some things very quickly. But you know what? Anger towards other people is just useless. It's useless. There is zero benefit in you holding unforgiveness towards another person. It doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts you. I couldn't tell you how many people I know who are mad at someone else and they're refusing to talk to them. They're turning the cold shoulder to them, thinking that somehow or another they are hurting that person and getting back with them by being angry. And yet the other person sleeps good at night. They don't even think about it. They don't care what you're thinking. It doesn't even affect them. You're the one that's up obsessing. You're the one that's getting health problems because of your unforgiveness and stressed out. You're, You're punishing yourself. Anger doesn't hurt another person. It hurts you. I prayed for a woman in Lima, Ohio. This has been 25 years ago. And this woman came forward on a walker and she had arthritis. And it took her 30 minutes to cover 15 or 20 feet. She was barely able to move. She had such severe pain. I prayed with this woman and rebuked that pain and commanded it to leave her. And this woman, her pain instantly left. She put that walker over her head and walked around with that walker over her head. And I mean, if you would have seen her, she could just barely shuffle. It was miraculous. This woman was set free and healed. And everybody began to praise God. The next night, she came to the meeting again, and she was on that walker and just barely able to move. And I said, what happened to you? And she said, by the time I got out to my car, all of that pain was back. And she says, I've been worse today than I was before. And so I said, you know what? It's Somehow or another, the root cause of this arthritis was still left there. It's like we cut something off at ground level, but it grew back. I said, there's got to be a cause. I don't think it's always this way with things. Sometimes you're just attacked. Sometimes things happen. But sometimes there are emotional, spiritual reasons why people are sick. And so I said, there's got to be a reason why you're this way. So I said, let's pray. And as I started praying for this woman, the Lord just spoke to me about unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness. And I said, boy, you've got hatred in your heart for somebody. And this woman started crying, and she says, I know exactly who you're talking about. And I said, you need to forgive them. And this woman stopped me and told me that 20, 30 years before that time, uh, she was dating this guy, and he tried to have sex with her before they got married, and she said no. And he says, look, I love you. I promise I'm going to marry you. And he coerced her. She went ahead and had sex with him, and then he split and took off. And this was, you know, a long time ago, back before abortion. And uh, it was, I mean, she didn't have any options. She uh, had the child out of wedlock. She suffered shame and all of these things. And this was back, you know, in a conservative society, much different than today. And this woman was humiliated. And for 20 or 30 years, however long it had been, she had hated this man every day of her life and prayed that he would die and this guy was out of her life i'm sure he had forgotten her he probably didn't think about it but she had hatred in her heart for him not realizing that that was the very thing that gave this arthritis inroad into her life it wasn't hurting the guy it was destroying her And so I ministered to her and I said, boy, there's an anointing of God right now for you to forgive this guy. And she just started crying and she said, God, I forgive him. She called out his name and she uh, just forgave him and says, i let it go. And you know what? Before I could even pray for her, she lifted that walker up, started walking around, she was totally healed, came back every night. It was like a four-night meeting or something. She came back every night. She never had another pain. She never had another problem. And she was set free. Hatred towards other people does not do a thing to them, but it will destroy you. Satan will come in and eat your lunch and pop the bag if you get into strife and hatred. Let me just use a couple of scriptures here. Look in James chapter 3 and verse 16. James three sixteen. It says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Man, this is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture in the Bible. It's amazing in a negative sense. This isn't a positive statement, but it's a true statement. And where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Not some evil works, every evil work. When you get into strife, and I'm not talking about a godly anger against evil and against the devil, but when you get into hatred and strife with a person, you open up a door to anything Satan wants to do in your life. That's exactly what this verse is saying. Where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Not some evil works, every evil work. Envy and strife just open you up to anything Satan wants to do in your life, and that is a luxury that you cannot afford. I went to a church in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, and um, right before I had gotten there, this uh, boy had died, and the church had a funeral for him, and this church had been believing they, it was an Assembly of God church that preached that miracles could happen, but you couldn't predict them and you couldn't believe for them. It was case, raw, whatever will be, will be. The pastor had just gotten turned on to the Word and started preaching that God's a good God, God wants to bless you, and it's always God's will to heal. And this boy had been in a coma, and the church fasted for him for, I think, three days, believing God to raise him up, and he died. And they had his funeral two days before I got there. And they were just brand new trying to believe the Lord in this area. And their faith was shaken. And they were asking me questions. I went out to eat with the parents of this child every day trying to find out what was happening. And I was basically telling them, I said, I can guarantee you, God did not fail you. It is not God who failed to heal this boy. It was something on our part that kept us from receiving the healing power of God. But I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to tell them. And it took me a few days, but what I finally found out was that the parents, there was so much strife in the home that the parents were planning on a divorce. They were screaming and yelling at each other. The day that this happened to this boy, the mother had gotten in an argument with the boy and told him she hated him, never wanted him to come back home again. And he went to school and at lunch he left the school, went over to a guy's house against school regulations and he took a gun and he was playing with it, playing Russian roulette, put it to his head and blew his head off. And that's the reason he was in a coma. And then they were praying and believing for him to be healed and they couldn't understand why he wasn't healed. You know what? They lived in strife. That home was in strife. There was hatred. There was unforgiveness. And this verse says that opens up a door to every evil work. And they didn't have a clue why Satan was able to hinder their prayers. Man, you can't live in strife, give Satan that kind of an inroad into your life and see things happen. You need to recognize that strife is unacceptable. And some of us just think, well, no, I was raised. This is the way I was raised. We aren't an affectionate group. We always yell at each other. That's just the way it is. You can say it however you want to say it. It's wrong. And it's an inroad of the devil into your life. Well, I'm a Mexican. And Mexicans are just high-strung and we're high-tempered. And you know what? We just get on each other's nerves and stuff. And that's the way that we are. Well, you're wrong. That's not in your genes. You don't have to be that way. You can be delivered of it. I tell you, strife opens up a door to every evil work. And we wonder why we have problems. I stayed in some people's homes one time when I was out preaching. And uh, they just yelled at their kids. I remember her telling this kid, Get up there and make your bed. You're lazy. You're no good. Yelled at them, blasted them. And they had been asking me about how can we get our kids, you know, to... Love us. How can we get things to work? And they couldn't understand what was going on. And so after hearing this tirade, I went down and I told this woman, I said, you know what? Why don't you yell at me and tell me to go make the bed? And how come you don't yell at me and tell me to get down here? How come you come up and talk to me nicely? And she looked at me. She says, well, you're a guest in our home. And I said, you know what? If you talk to me the way you talk to your children, I'd have a problem with you. But you know, somehow people think, well, we're family. This is the way family treats each other. It ought to be exactly the opposite. If you are going to be rude, you shouldn't be rude or mean or unkind to anybody. But if you're going to be rude to somebody, be rude to me. Be rude to a stranger. Don't be rude to the people that you love the most. You ought to treat the people in your home nicer than you treat anybody else. You ought to be on your best behavior instead of your worst behavior. You know, my brother's not even baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I tell you, he's got some things right. And one of the things that happened right after he got married, his wife started putting out china, crystal, sterling silver, setting the table and doing all this. And he says, what are you putting all this stuff out for? And she says, we got company coming over tonight. I wanted to put our best out. Ray went and got all that stuff and put it back up and he put out the other stuff and he says from now on my family eats on the uh, uses the crystal and the china and we'll put the other stuff out for visitors. He says I'm going to treat my family better than I treat somebody else. And you know what? He's had a good marriage. He's had a good family. You know, some of us just our reference point, you were raised around shouting and yelling and things and you may just think it's normal, but I'm telling you that the Word of God says where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You may be praying for financial prosperity and you quote all of the Scriptures and you pay your tithes and you do everything boom, boom, boom just exactly right and you can't understand why you aren't prospering. And yet you'll yell and treat people like animals. You get mad, you say things, you have temper tantrums, and you just can't understand why you aren't prospering. That's like chasing the devil out the front door and leaving all the windows and side doors and back door open. That's just stupid. You're going to have to close these opportunities of the devil to come into your life. I tell you, anger towards other people, you may think and get some satisfaction and think that you're punishing them, but you aren't hurting the other person. Envy and strife is an inroad of every evil work into your life. You can't afford it. You need to stop it. And the way to stop it is like we were talking about last night. Quit being self-centered and thinking about things only from your perspective. Get to where you love God and love the other person more than you love yourself and you'll quit being angry at other people. You'll start having compassion towards them. Amen? And the last thing I want to talk about tonight, and this is really important, is that, you know what, a lot of people are mad at themselves. A lot of people hate themselves. And you know what, you cannot give away what you don't have. This, When we had marriage seminars, we used to hold marriage seminars a lot. Matter of fact, we held a bunch of them right here in uh, Phoenix. Some of you may have come to our marriage seminars many years ago. And one of the things that I really dislike about some of the marriage seminars I've been to and heard about is that they tell you how you are supposed to love your mate. They tell you ways to treat your mate and all of these affectionate things to do, and they give you these steps, but they very seldom tell you about how much God loves you. And you know what? Most people... The reason they don't give love is because they've never really received love. They don't have it themselves, and you cannot give away what you don't have. And most people, honestly, have never really received God's supernatural, unconditional love for themselves. And the reason that some of you are as mean as a snake is because you don't love yourself. You hate yourself. You are super dissatisfied with yourself and because of that, you can't love another person. You can't give away what you don't have. I've ministered to many marriage couples, couples who are married, and I've talked to them and this person is mad and angry and I said, have you ever thought about why they're that way? And they never even think about it. All they look at is what's happening and they don't think about why that person is that way. And I've started operating in the gifts of the Spirit and said, man, God just shows me that this person has never known love, they've been abused, they've been hurt, and stuff. How can they give away what they don't have? And what we do, instead of sitting there criticizing them over their actions, we go to the root of that thing and just start telling them about, you know what, God loves you. You don't have to be this way. And if a person ever gets full of the love of God they will just automatically begin to start sharing that with other people. You know, some of you may think I'm a mean person or something because I'm blunt and I just say things and stuff like that, but I really do love people. And my whole life is given to loving people and trying to help people. And I can tell you when that happened. It happened March the 23rd, 1968, when all of a sudden God's love exploded on the inside of me. Prior to that time, I, I uh, did things because the church was telling me, you've got to perform and be holy for God to love you and accept you. So I psyched myself. Remember, I was an introvert, couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. And yet I psyched myself up to go out and do witnessing, street witnessing, door-to-door witnessing. And I not only went out with the adults, but I started a special youth night visitation. And I knocked on doors on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. I made about five or six visits each night. I got up in front of the church every Sunday. They patted me on the back for the people that I had led to the Lord. When I was 14, 15, 16 years old, I was leading more people per week to the Lord than the pastor was. I'm not sure they were truly born again because I didn't care about whether they were born again. I was doing it so I could get recognition, so I could get a pat on the back, so I could do something and feel like, God, will you accept me now? And so because of that, I'd just lead them through a prayer. If I could get them to repeat the prayer with me and fill out the card, I'd take their scalp back to church and I'd get credit for touching them. And it didn't matter whether they were truly saved or not. I got the recognition. I got the credit. That's what I was doing. But man, that was tough. I had to psych myself up because I was an introvert. And it was just like pulling teeth. I was trying to give away what I didn't have. But on March the 23rd, 1968 in Arlington, Texas, I was in a prayer meeting, and it's a real long story, but I was just talking with some of my friends. We prayed from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock midnight every Saturday night. That shows you how religious I was, 18 years of age. That's what we had done for years, was get together on Saturday, and all my friends, we would pray for two hours on Saturday night. But, you know, my relationship with God was very superficial. I was born again... But I wasn't baptized with the Holy Spirit and stuff. And it was superficial. And I'd just pray a typical prayer, pray the same thing every time and get it out of the way. But there was a guy in our group, Marion Warren, who when he prayed, it was amazing to listen to this guy pray. He talked to God. And God would talk back to him. He talked to God just like God was a person. And it was wonderful to listen to him. I mean, it was amazing. I was really impressed by his prayers. But it was also... Condemning because Marion would pray for 15 or 20 minutes, and after he prayed, there was nothing left to say. And it made me look bad. And I was supposed to be one of the leaders in the church, and here I was. People were going to think I was not able to pray. And so I'd always pray before Marion, get my prayer out of the way so I could enjoy the rest of the deal. Well, this night I was talking to my friends about something, and Marion just hit his knees and started pouring out his heart to the Lord and probably prayed for 30 minutes. He prayed for everything in the world. And instead of enjoying his prayer and agreeing with him and praying with him and things, you know what I was doing? I was thinking, boy, I was mad. I was thinking, man, he's going to make me look like a zero. There is nothing left to say. My little prayer about Lord bless us if it be your will for Jesus' sake is going to be very ineffective after he and i was mad because of self i was praying for self you know many people do this when they pray they aren't talking to god they're talking to the people they are wanting to be heard they're wanting to be considered religious and man isn't this guy spiritual that's exactly where i was and man i got mad because he had stolen my thunder and i was mad at marion and i was fuming And I can't tell you why. It was just the grace of God. But all of a sudden, it's like God pulled back a curtain and let me see what a hypocrite I was and how self-centered I was and how that I had never done anything with a pure heart in my life. All of the people I was quote-unquote leading to the Lord, I wasn't doing that because I loved them and wanted to share Jesus with them. I was doing it to get recognition, to get credit. I was praying out of hypocrisy. God just showed me my life, showed me things that I couldn't have known it apart from a divine revelation of God. God showed me I was the scum of the earth. And man, when Marion got through praying, I don't even know how all this happened because my theology was, I thought God was going to kill me. I thought that when I saw how rotten I was and what a religious hypocrite I was, I thought that was the first time God had seen it. And I just figured He'd kill me. I was told that God's the one that killed my dad when I was 12 years old. God's the one that killed my grandmother who raised me when I was 8 years old. I was around a lot of death and stuff, and God's always the one who sovereignly did it. And I figured, man, if God knew how bad I was, He was going to kill me. And I expected to die that night. Some of you may think that's an exaggeration, but I thought God was going to kill me. I honestly, I knew I was so unworthy that I thought God was going to kill me. But before he killed me, I was going to come clean. And so in front of the pastor, the leaders of the church, my best friends, everybody that I'd been trying to impress, I turned myself inside out. And I confessed things that nobody could have known. I didn't know them before that time. I didn't realize what a hypocrite I was. I began to confess my motives for doing things, how hypocritical I was, what a con I was. I poured myself inside out. I ruined any reputation I'd ever had with these people. But I just poured myself out to God and confessed it and said, God, I'm sorry, and asked for forgiveness. And all of the things I'd been doing to earn God's favor and trying to be good enough and doing this so that hopefully He'd answer a prayer or do something. Here I was at my very worst, Realizing for the first time in my life I had nothing good to offer God, I confessed it and to my amazement, instead of rejection or punishment, a supernatural love of God flowed through me that I could never describe to you. For four and a half months, I was just gone in the presence of God. I did never sleep over an hour at a time for four and a half months. I didn't eat a meal. I never sat down and ate a meal. I just grabbed something and go. I was in the presence of God. I could have closed my eyes and have, in my imagination, touched Jesus. He was so real. I was overwhelmed with the love of God. And for four and a half months, I was just taken up in the love of God. And you know what happened? That didn't make me want to serve God less. But now, instead of doing Tuesday and Thursday night visitation and making five visits each night and psyching myself up, having to spend an hour trying to get myself in a state where an introvert could go out and talk to people he's never seen, immediately... When once I had the love of God and I knew how much God loved me, immediately, man, I started loving people. I witnessed to anything and everything that moved. I talked to everybody. Instead of Tuesday and Thursday night visitation, I quit those. I started witnessing to every person I saw. I would go into a restaurant. We would stand up and pray at the top of our lungs. And everybody in the restaurant would stop and look at us and we'd say, your food needs to be blessed too. That's not the way to do it. But I'm saying that my fear left. Perfect love cast out fear. And I was so excited about God. I just wanted to share with everybody. I witnessed the people coming out of 7-Elevens. I, I made a commitment at one time that I would never see a person. I didn't talk to him about Jesus. And of course, that's not a wise commitment. You can't fulfill that. I remember when I got drafted... And I was standing in formation seeing thousands of people walk by and I I couldn't witness to them. I thought, God, that is a totally unrealistic commitment to make. And I had to repent of it. But for uh, a year or so, I never saw a person that I didn't talk to them about the Lord. I talked to anybody and everybody. And like I told you, you know, I was afraid of people. I was uh, embarrassed and I would have to force myself. I'd get in and I had a script that I had rehearsed that I would say to people. ...trying to lead them to the Lord. After I found out how much God loved me... ...my whole motivations changed. And I started knocking on a hundred doors a day... ...going up to people... ...and I wasn't even keeping records... ...and turning it in and getting credit for it. I was just talking to people about Jesus... ...because I loved Jesus... ...and I loved people... ...and I knew that Jesus loved them... ...and I wanted people to have the same joy that I had. And people started slamming the door in our face. We started in the rich section of Arlington, Texas... And people would just slam the door in my face. And they would come up with the most stupid things. I'd ask them, I'd say, are you a Christian? And they literally pulled coins out of their pocket and says, right here, in God we trust. They thought that because they had a coin, and said, in God we trust. They were a Christian. They didn't know what a Christian was. So I was just, I wanted to talk to people. And so instead of, you know, I used to actually walk up the doors and say, oh God, don't let there be anybody home. Because I got credit for knocking on their door whether they were there or not. And that's all I was after was credit. I just wanted people to feel like I was doing a good job. I didn't care if people got touched. So I'd pray, oh God, don't let there be anybody home. And if they were home, I'd say, oh God, don't let them ask me any questions. Don't let them have any problems. Let me go through my spiel. And you know, if you do it right and you go through there and you say, now is there any reason that you wouldn't like to pray and accept Jesus into your heart? Most people will let you pray with. I mean, there's very few people who say, yes, leave me alone, I want to go to hell. And so you can get people to repeat a prayer after you, but that doesn't mean they're born again. And so I just go through my deal, oh God, don't let them have a problem, don't let them interrupt me, don't let them ask me a question. But after I had the love of God on the inside of me, I mean, everything changed. And I started using gimmicks to try and get people to listen to me. They'd slam the door in our face. So we had survey cards printed up. I'd say, I'm taking a Christian survey. Would you answer a few questions? And I'd ask them these questions, fill this thing out. And the bottom question was, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And that's all I was after. We threw the cards away. We didn't do anything with them. It was a, (laughs) come on, to get people to listen to them. But anyway, people had been shutting the door in my face. And I remember this one day. I had been talking to people, and I was just determined i was going to talk to this next person if i had to stick my foot in their door and hold it open and so i walked up there just fishing for something to say to this person anyway i knocked on this door and this lady opened the door just about that much with the chain on and she looked out with one eye and she says what do you want and i said praise god i finally found a christian and she says, what makes you think I'm a Christian? See, this was good because people have been trying to convince me they were already Christian. This woman was trying to convince me she wasn't. So I, I said, well, you got a scripture on your fence out here. And this woman said, a scripture on my fence? Man, she took that chain off. She came out in her robe and she says, where's a scripture on my fence? And I turned over to Philippians 3.2 and I said, right here it says, beware of dogs. And I just kept reading it. <laughs> And I read all of Philippians chapter 3 to her before she could recover and go in the house and shut the door. (laughs) But what I'm trying to illustrate to you is that, you know what, before I understood the love of God, I forced myself to do some of the right things, but my heart was wrong. I was in turmoil. It wasn't satisfying. I wasn't a blessing to other people. You can't give away what you don't have. But once I understood how much God loved me, totally independent of my performance, I mean, at my very worst, when I finally came to the realization that, God, I'm a hypocrite, I have nothing to offer you, and I repented, man, God poured out His tangible love in my heart. At that time, man, I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me, and then loving other people was easy. I can truthfully tell you that it's not been hard for me to walk in love with other people once I understood how much God loved me and how unworthy of that love that I was. If you understood our relative unworthiness before God and then His awesome love for us in spite of our unworthiness, I guarantee you it's not hard for you to be patient and kind with other people when you understand how patient and kind God's been with you. The reason many of you don't love yourself or the reason you don't love other people is because you don't love yourself. You don't understand how much God loves you. And if you haven't ever received that God kind of love, you're going to be totally ineffective giving it to other people. And so you know what? You need to deal with these areas. You need to get rid of this self-hatred. And the way that the world is telling us to do it is basically they just lower the bar so much that anybody can step over it. If you feel guilt and condemnation, the way the world approaches it is say, don't feel bad, it's not your fault. You were raised that way. You were raised in a dysfunctional home. You were made to be this way. And they make somebody else the reason for you being a jerk. But you know, the truth is, nobody else made you the way you are. They may have given you an opportunity, they may have presented a problem to you that maybe I didn't have, but you have a choice whether you become bitter or better, and you know what, sometimes you just need to face the fact that, you know what, I am a jerk, I have made the wrong mistakes, and quit trying to get around it and justify it and make other people the scapegoat. It's healthy for you to recognize, I'm the one that messed up my life, maybe somebody else helped me, but you know what, it was my choice. I could have become better instead of bitter, and you just have to face it, but then let God love you in spite of who you are, not because of who you are. Don't tie God's love for you to some worth or value in your life. The reason God loves you is because God is love, not because you are lovely. And if you could understand that, you know what? It could help you to accept things. I just recently in Fort Worth had a lady just rail on me and let me have it. She thought I'd done some things wrong. I could have got in and said, well, you know what? It's not my fault. It's yours. And I could have done all these things. But, you know what? I, she just was saying, you aren't who you claim to be and all this. And she blasted me. And instead, you know I just said, you know what? I'm wrong. Forgive me. And that totally disarmed her. She was expecting me to try and condemn her and justify my actions and condemn hers. And instead, I just said, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I don't do everything perfectly. I'm sorry I disappointed you. I'm sorry I'm not what you want me to be. Some people can't admit that. They can't face the fact that they fail. You know what? I was a failure when God found me, and I'm still a failure without God. The only good that's in my life is what Jesus has done. There is no good thing in me apart from Jesus. I don't have any misconceptions about myself. And there are some of you that are just refusing to admit that you've got to feel good about yourself. You need to recognize that your carnal self is what caused Jesus to die. And that there is a new you on the inside, a born again you. And that's the part of you that's good. And that's the part of you that God loves. And the thing that gives your life dignity and worth and value isn't your goodness, but rather it's the fact that you're the object of God's love. God loves you, and that's what makes your life worth living. And man, if you could understand that, you know what, you could come to peace with yourself. Not complacent, still desiring to improve and love people and do things, but you know what, you get to where you don't condemn yourself, to where you just recognize that man... None of us deserve the things of God, and you could receive God's grace and mercy as a gift, and you could be at peace. You know what? I'm a happy guy. I know I'm not everything I'm supposed to be, and I'm not everything I'm going to be, but you know what? I'm not upset with myself. I'm not mad at myself. I know that without Jesus, there's no good thing in me, but with Jesus, I'm awesome. And I love who I am in the Lord. And I know that God loves me. And because of that, I don't hate myself. And because of that, I can treat you good. Because I've I've learned to treat me good. I've learned that God doesn't give me what I deserve. So I don't have to give you what you deserve. I can be merciful to you because God's been merciful to me. And some of you have never experienced this. And that's the reason that you can't turn around and love other people. Amen? Man, if you'd take the things I've talked about tonight, I guarantee you this could just totally deal with these three areas of hatred where you hate God, you're mad at God, or you're mad at people, or you're mad at yourself. You could diffuse those things totally and start walking in a supernatural love of God and understanding that God loves you. Amen? And that would transform your life. You know, the Lord's just quickening me right now that there are some of you in here that the things that I've talked about, especially this last section about just understanding God's love, there are some of you in here who know intellectually that God loves you, but you've never really experienced it. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 20 or 21, it says, That you might know the love of God which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That sounds like a contradiction of turn, an oxymoron. How can you know something if it passes knowledge? What he's talking about, there are different words for for know in the Greek. He's talking about that you might experience the love of God, which surpasses mere intellectual knowledge about the love of God, and then the results of that is you will be filled with all the fullness of God. There are some of you that only know the love of God as a doctrine but you don't know it as an experience. It's not a reality to you. And you know what? If you are going to ever be effective ministering to other people and having a really great relationship with God, you've got to go beyond just intellectual knowledge. And you need to experience God's unconditional love for you. You need to get to a place to where you know that you know that you know not just in your head, but in your heart, that God loves you. It's got to be reality to you. And there are some of you here tonight that have never experienced that. And you must experience that. And I believe that God wants to reveal that to you more than you want to know it. So it's not a matter of, will you do that for me? It's, will you let God love you? Will you quit maintaining your own goodness? Will you come to an acknowledgement like what I was giving my own personal testimony of your hypocritical things and of all of your self-righteousness and quit trying to make God love you because you deserve it? Will you just humble yourself and receive it as a gift and receive a revelation of God's love for you? Or are you going to still be maintaining your own righteousness and trying to say, God, I deserve it? If you'll humble yourself, I guarantee you, God wants to show you His love for you more than you want to know it. Amen? That is true. You know, every one of us can receive a greater revelation of God's love. There's not a single person that has plumbed the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth and knows everything about it. But there are some people in here that have already begun to experience that You have a revelation. You know that God loves you. Maybe you need to get back on track and focus on it more than what you have. But I'm not speaking to you. I'm talking to the people in here that this is nothing but intellectual knowledge to you. You do not know that you know that you know that God loves you. And you can't give away what you don't have. You're angry at yourself. You're disappointed with yourself. And you haven't just ever accepted God's unconditional love for you. And you know what? You need to receive. You need to receive that tonight. And I'd like to just ask those of you that would say, those of you that are already headed down this road, I'm not asking you to respond, but those of you that would say, man, this is not reality to me, and I need it to be reality. I believe that there's an anointing of God here tonight to help me understand and receive the love of God. I want to experience God's love, and I never had before. If that's you, I'd like you to be just honest enough, bold enough to stand right where you are and let us pray with you. And I believe that God is going to do a miracle in people's hearts here tonight. If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are. I tell you, this will change your life. I was born again when I was eight years old, but I was 18 before I received this revelation that God loved me. And I know I was born again, and yet I didn't have a real revelation of that. Man, you need this to become reality in your life. You need this. It has to be. You can't give away what you don't have.